I'm going to invite you to turn back to the Gospel of John this morning. We're going to explore John chapter 1 as you're turning. I'll invite our kids, Children's Church Age, to be dismissed to Children's Church now with Miss Karen. Last Sunday, we began our series on John's Gospel, and we explored verses 1 through 3. This week, we're going to continue, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 13. And rich terms, rich text, even just in the first five verses, we see Jesus is the Word, Jesus is God, Jesus is light. And so last week, we, we glimpsed how great and glorious Jesus is. As the eternally existing Word, who is God, who created everything that exists. The Word came into the world. And we, we should ask, what was the purpose for which the Word came? And today we, we see He is the light who gives life and the right to become children of God to all who believe in Him. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word as we look at verses 4 through 13 this morning. The Bible says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Father, how glorious it is that Jesus is the life, the life is the light of men. What, what incredible blessing it is that we who receive you, we who believe in your name, you give the right to become children of God. And I pray for every child of God in this room, via radio or Facebook listening, that they will never get over the amazing grace that they are children of God. And I pray that for those who have not yet believed in your name, that they would do so. And I pray for us as a congregation that we would bear witness about the light in Advent season and in every season. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So John, the writer of this gospel, loves the themes of life and light. John used the term life 36 times, the term light 23 times. So clearly these are crucial to his purpose. 
And I want to call back to your memory what his purpose was. John told us why he wrote this gospel that is found in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, those terms, life and light, must aid his purpose of proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to serve our believing in him and receiving life. Well, the right question is, well, how does that happen? So, let's look at 1 4. It says, Of Jesus, in him was life. Now, there's a way we might read that statement and say, Well, that's true of all of us in a way that it's not true of those who are in the cemetery now. We're alive. We have life, if you want to say it that way. There's folks there that are buried that are no longer alive. But that is not what John is doing here. Rather, he means that Jesus has life in and of himself. There was no time Jesus did not have life. Jesus has always been. And we see this in chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So Jesus is life. And anybody who has life, has life because Jesus is the source of life. Now that's true in terms of physical life. We are alive now, we weren't always. None of us granted life to ourselves. None of you decided on your birthday, hey, I think I will spring into existence, I'm going to give life to myself. None of us had that ability. We see Jesus is the creator, we see that in verse 3. Jesus is the source of life, he gives life. And then I want you to see how quickly John connects Life and light. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Dead people need life. People in darkness need light. These are ways to describe our lost condition. Only Jesus, as creator, gives physical life, but it's also true spiritually only jesus gives spiritual life and we see that in this gospel we see in john 3 16 he gives eternal life john 10 10 he gives abundant life so both of these metaphors are important to john's purposes to give life to us but he spends more time here on light this shows how dependent we are we, we, until we come to Christ, we're both spiritually dead and in spiritual darkness. Both of those things are true. We need Jesus to make us alive. And we need Jesus as the light to show us our darkness. So verse 5 introduces that topic of darkness two times and in two ways. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So why did John describe Jesus by the term light and the world with the term darkness? And and I think it's just so intuitive to us. We just understand light 
and darkness really well. I don't necessarily have to explain that. Kids know light is good, darkness is bad. None of you that have a three-year-old kid, when you walk in their room at night, they say, can you just make it darker in here? They want every light flipped on in that room, right? Night lights, real lights. I spend a lot of time at home just turning off lights in the house. Even culturally, one of the biggest movie franchises of my life, Star Wars, has these themes of light side, dark side, good, bad. So I think we're just wired. I think we're just created to understand that. And I think John, through the Holy Spirit's leading, is revealing something about the pure nature of Jesus in this term, light. Furthermore, 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So this term light has a rich history. And last week we went way back. We went all the way back to Genesis 1. And I think we should go back to that this morning. We saw there Jesus was the agent of creation. But let's go back there this morning. In verse 2 of chapter 1, first book of the Bible, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's the second verse of the Bible. Darkness is there. What's the first thing God creates? Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So there God created physical light. Now let's be clear, just in our Christology, Jesus is the eternally existing light. God did not create Jesus. He exists as the light. But here in the first chapter of the Bible, we're seeing light, physical light is good. And again, I think we just know that instinctively. When I was pastoring my previous church, uh, at that time I was doing doctoral work, or at one time I was doing doctoral work, and we lived in a parsonage right beside the church, door to door to get to the church. It was probably about 100 feet to get over there. And often I'd work during the day on church and even some schoolwork, go home, spend some time with the family, eat dinner and walk back over at night to do uh, some more schoolwork. Now listen, I was a grown man at the time. There's a difference in walking over at 8 in the morning and walking back at 10 o'clock at night. It's bright, sunshine at one time, dark at 10 o'clock. And I'll just be honest, churches make all kinds of strange noises that you only hear at night. We had a, one of those battery-powered baby swings. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, it was in the nursery a few doors down from my office. And it would get stuck between the on and off position. And randomly kick on at night while I was over there at times. Do you know how creepy it is to be in a dark church and this eerie music just starts playing? There's, a, there's just a darkness to darkness. I, I, I don't have to explain that. You get what I am saying. So we know that we need the light. And I also want us to, to go back and see John's not just pulling this term light out of nowhere. I think he expects us to do our homework in terms of messianic prophecy or know this. There is a rich Old Testament tradition of speaking of 
Messiah, the coming Messiah in terms of light. We read that this morning, one of our well-known Christmas texts from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So just there, that's fulfilled in Jesus. Darkness symbolizes spiritual lostness, but the light of Christ was coming. Well, Isaiah also has some servant of the Lord passages. And it's prophesying about Jesus. And in Isaiah chapter 42, we again see this theme. Verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So people in spiritual darkness would receive the light. Blind eyes would be open. So the imagery of Messiah as the light is not unexpected for us. But let's, let's dive in a little bit more here in verse 5. There's some verb tenses there. The light shines in the darkness. I appreciated some of our commentaries bringing this out. It's not just shown at one point and the light just stops shining. The light is, has not gone out. The light continually shines because the darkness has not overcome it. That's the word that is used in my translation here in the ESV. And what does that mean? The light has not overcome it. Now, your version may say the light has not or sorry, the darkness has not understood it or comprehended it or overpowered it. There's some different ways and we might say, well, why so many different translations of that word? And I think one of the reasons is John liked using words that had double meanings. And I think he's doing that here. So one aspect of overcome, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, is this understood. The darkness did not understand Jesus was the light. So here's John. You've got 21 chapters proclaiming Jesus is the light. Salvation is here. Salvation has come. And the tragedy is people did not receive him. People did not understand. He is the Messiah. We see this in verse 11. The Messiah came even to the Jewish people and his own did not receive him. We see in verse 9, he enlightened everyone by his coming, by revealing God to us, by doing his cross work, but there were some who looked at him and just missed who he is. So I think that's one layer of meaning to that word overcome. The darkness has not understood it. But I think there's that second meaning as well. That the darkness did not overpower the light. It didn't defeat him. The nature of light is that it conquers darkness, not vice versa. Anytime light shines in darkness, light wins. We, we, have a, we have a great tool in our hands or pockets or beside you in our cell phones, right? 
We use it for many reasons, oftentimes the least of which is to make calls. I, I have a great flashlight on this phone. And I use that tool often. And it's just amazing how this little phone can have such a, flash, uh, a flashlight that we can use. The other day I was in the, the truck, it was dark in there, I was looking for something in between the seats, under the seats, and here comes my flashlight. And it illuminated the darkness. Power goes in, out, out in your house. You see you have to look for a candle or a flashlight. Now you just grab your phone, right? Turn it on, and the flashlight light dispels that darkness. Once light enters darkness, darkness gets dispelled. If you ask, you know, what, what are some of the basic properties of light to make it light? Well, light has to dispel darkness. That's, that's inherent to what light is and does. And so... In the person of Jesus, the darkness did not overpower him as well. But, I think we need to think through something here. John says, darkness did not overcome the light of Jesus. But Jesus used some words in the NIV in the book of Luke. When the betrayers come to arrest him. They come out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says this in Luke twenty-two fifty-three: Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. So here is the light of the world saying to those who came to him to arrest him, and he's saying this is your hour, darkness has power, darkness has authority, darkness reigns. And then what happens? Well, they kill him, right? So, how is it true then, in John 1, 5, that darkness didn't overcome the light if Jesus' enemies succeeded in killing him? Isn't that exhibit number one of darkness overcoming the light? This is an important issue for us to think through. And church, I just want to say, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John are writing their Gospels. They are not writing ignorant of the entire life of Jesus. None of them are wringing their hands wondering, well, how's this whole Jesus event going to turn out? They are writing from the other side of the resurrection, right? They know... John knows here at the beginning when he writes, the darkness has not overcome it, that Jesus will die, but he's also risen never to die again. And, and we, we, just, we just see things differently when we know how it turns out, right? I went home last Sunday and I was watching my Kentucky Wildcats playing basketball. They were playing University of Michigan. They were playing in London. And I turned on the game, and I thought it was live, but it had already been played because I was looking uh, up something on my phone, and I saw a story and knew that they were going to win. That was a tight game. But I watched that game a lot differently knowing how it was going to turn out than I would have if I hadn't known that. John wrote these words after Jesus has risen. He knows Jesus did not stay dead. He rose victorious to live forever. So even here in Advent season, don't just relegate Jesus to a manger. Yes, 
His incarnation is absolutely crucial. But the baby grows up to be the sinless man who goes to the cross to die for my sins and yours. But he's not still dead. God raised him victorious, the conqueror, the overcomer. So if we went back to Jesus' statement in Luke twenty-two fifty-three about the power of darkness reigning there, it doesn't mean darkness overcame the light. It doesn't mean darkness won. Now, Satan's dominion, yes, it's darkness. And Jesus' crucifixion may have looked for a moment like that darkness had overcome. But Jesus knew what looked like his greatest defeat was actually his glory. So here's how John talks about, John talks a lot about Jesus' hour. You often hear him say like, my hour has not yet come. But there was a time when his hour did come. And it's in context to the nations coming to Jesus. Greeks come and they're seeking out Jesus. And in that moment, in John chapter 12, Jesus answered them, the hour has come. Now the hour is the hour of his death. But hear how he says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man. It does not say to be overcome, does it? The, son, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So even if it looked like for a moment the hour of darkness prevails, Jesus says, no, this is the hour for me to be glorified. And I am glorified by going to the cross. It is my way of saving the nations Woo, who will believe in me. I'm going to move this in case I get really stirred up up here. So there's a tension in John's gospel. There's light, there's darkness, but it comes to a head at the cross. And if Jesus died and rose, if our atonement is secure, and if the light still shines, darkness did not win. And church, for us, if Jesus' crucifixion ended not in horrific defeat, but stunning eternal victory, then nothing Satan ever can do will extinguish the light of Christ. And if you're in Christ, nothing Satan can ever do triumphs over us ultimately. You too will be raised. We sing a song entitled, Is He Worthy? We sang this at our centennial service a few weeks ago. It's a song recently written by Chris Tomlin. The first verse says, Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. And the song goes on to talk about how Jesus, the Lion of Judah, is worthy. So believer, whatever darkness you find yourself walking through in this world, it does not stop the light of Christ from getting through. And that is crucial for us. So, let me ask this. What is John doing in verses 6 through 8 when he talks about John the Baptist? So John the Beloved... One of the twelve disciples is writing the gospel, and here in verses six through eight, he's talking about John the Baptist. 
But if you look at verse 5, it could go pretty seamlessly to verse 9. The light shines in the darkness, darkness not overcome it. Go to verse 9, the true light which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. So what is he doing by coming into verses 6 through 8 with this information about John the Baptist? And here's the thing, looking at verses 6 through 8, the spotlight is never really on John the Baptist. In fact, it's on what John is doing. The focus is on John bearing witness. Look at how he says this. He came as a witness to bear witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about what? About the light. Here is John the Baptist. This is courtroom type language. He's bearing witness. He's testifying. Jesus is the light. That's what John came to do. Even as Zechariah writes in Luke chapter 1. He's talking about what his son will do. Here's what he says. Luke 1 verses 76 and following. And you child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So John is to testify, to bear witness, this is the Lord who is to come, who's going to give light to those of us who are sitting in darkness. Well, why? And you see this, verse 8, so that we might believe. Uh, sorry, that is verse 7. Verse 7. That all might believe through Him. So John is writing, the Beloved is writing, John the Baptist is testifying about the light so that we might believe. That's their purpose in this. Well, why should we believe? Because we need the light. We are lost apart from Christ. We are in spiritual darkness. In verse 10, this verse shows us this world is evil. So you go back, verse 14, or go forward, verse 14, incarnation verse, so is verse 9, true light was coming into the world, and the Son of God came to our broken world. That word world is found three times in verse 10, and it doesn't mean it in a positive way. Here, world doesn't mean the earth or the universe. He's talking about human beings. He's talking about people who are walking in darkness. That's the way he refers to world. D.A. Carson said, God's love is to be admired, not because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. If Jesus is the Savior of the world, that says a great deal about Jesus, but nothing positive about the world. In fact, it tells us the world is in need of a Savior. Every person bears God's image. Yet those of us who do, tragically, in verse 10, many don't recognize Him. Tragically, in verse 11, many don't receive Him. This should be shocking to us. That those of us who were created, were created by God. Christ is the agent of creation we're created by him and yet 
We often don't receive him, the people of this world. We should feel the weight of that. And then we should ask, why would people deliberately not receive Jesus? And here's the reality. It's because people love darkness. You say, Pastor, that, that's pretty strong. What right do you have to say that lost people love spiritual darkness? And if I was saying that on my own authority, that would be bold. But I'm saying it, I'm just quoting Jesus. If you go to John chapter 3, and it'll be up on your screen, but you can turn over as well. Jesus says in John 3, 19 and 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. We see there in our flesh we love the darkness we hate the light. So it's not that we're ignorant about our condition. It means that apart from being awakened to our lostness and our need for Jesus, we love the darkness. We don't want Christ. Don't want to be in relationship with Him. And so many in Jesus' day, saw his miracles, heard his teaching, said, we don't want you, we think you're a fraud. We think you're just a man, we don't think you're the son of God. They didn't love him, revere him, worship him. They missed him, they missed who he was. Failed to see him as a light, loved the darkness. But to come to the light, we see that darkness. Our deeds are exposed. It shows our own hopelessness and how desperate we are for a Savior. And you say, well, can you give me an example of that? This darkness being exposed. Well, we just looked at John chapter 3, verse 19 to 20. If you go to John chapter 4, Jesus has a long conversation with a Samaritan woman, right? And Jesus calls out her sin. Right? You've done well in saying you have no husband. For in fact, you have high five husbands. And I can't remember how he says it. I can turn over and find that pretty quickly, I would say. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus didn't ignore her sin. He calls it out. Was he mean in doing so? No, what he is doing is exposing sin so that the light of Christ could come in. And later on in this chapter, in verse 29, she says, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So in John's Gospel, there are religious leaders who never get it, who do not see him as a son of God, who reject him to the point that they kill him. But there are blind people who receive their sight. 
spiritually as well. They're sexual sinners who see Jesus as the light. They see Him, and as verse 12, they receive Him, they believe in His name. And, and here's, here's the incredible part of this for us experientially. That is in, please don't ever get over this church. Verse 12, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So if, if you're looking at this, there are two mind-boggling things that happen in, this, in these verses. One is negative, one is positive. One, the light in the world to save people, and amazingly some people reject Him. They see Him not as the true light, but as a fraud. That's amazing. In a tragic way. But here's the amazing thing in a glorious way. For those who believe, receive. He gave the right to become God's children. The light of the world comes. God shows us that we're sinners. We're walking in darkness. We're opposed to to God. But He allows us to grasp the truth of who Jesus is. And the true light gives us life. We're moved from death to life, from darkness into light. And as we, we're, we're dealing with the crisis of our sin before we come to Christ, we may wonder, can my sin really be forgiven by a holy God? And the amazing news is that the answer to that question is, yes, God, through Christ, really does forgive our sins. But there's even more We are also brought into His family. We are His children. If you're in Christ, and you're ever tempted to wonder, does God love me? The answer is, He's made you His child. And I don't think John, the writer here, ever got over this fact. He wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is like John on Christmas morning, as a long-time believer saying, I'm a child of God. Look, look at this. This is amazing. I, I read a story. I'm going to read it to you from this commentary on Christ-centered exposition. Exalting Jesus and John, authors Matt Carter and Josh Redberg. They tell the story uh, written by Shannon Brown here about when he was going, he and his wife were going to pick up the newest member of their family, which was a 10-month-old girl. They were going to China. She had been abandoned there the day after she was born. That's the lead-up by the authors. And then here's what Shannon Brown wrote. I think within a nanosecond of deciding to adopt, we knew what our daughter's name would be. In fact, I don't really ever recall discussing it that much. Perhaps it's because of why we chose to adopt. Our driving motivation was to rescue a little girl and give her a family with hope for the future. This helpless little girl who lives on the other side of the earth will receive all the benefits of being my child. I will clothe her and feed her. She will take on my name and receive my deepest affection. She will be the object of my love. My energies will be directed towards helping, instructing, and training her to be happy with the secure knowledge that I will never leave her. 
I will pour out my heart to introduce her to the Savior of the world who can take away all her sins and give her eternal security. Of course, all this is done as we completely depend on God and His strength. Where would we be without the love of God? Where would we be without Him revealing Himself to us in Scripture? Where would we be without Him divinely sacrificing His own Son and seeking us out to rescue us? So for us, and what this adoption is a reflection of, we only had one name to choose from. Grace. And as beautiful as that human adoption is, that is pointing us also to the fact that if we are in Christ, we are His children. Never get over being children of God. So, what do we do? What do we take away from this text? How do we apply it? Well, verse 13 demonstrates that the right to become children of God doesn't come from anything in us, not from how we were born, to whom we were born, where we were born, not by our efforts, not by our works. It only comes from God and given to those who receive the light, believe in His name. We were talking about belief last, last week. John uses the verb believe 98 times in his gospel. He really wants us to believe. But last week we talked about one false idea of believing, and that was believing in terms of, more in terms of believing in belief than having the right object of belief. Our belief has to be in Christ, the Son of God. Well, another wrong way to define believe is just to merely define it as intellectual agreement, as agreeing just mentally with a set of propositions. Now, we do need to believe in the content of the gospel. To believe is never less than that, but it's always more than that. The illustration I use, I don't know where I got it from, it's one I use often in, in sharing the gospel. To define biblically believing is something like standing over a chair. And if you come to that chair and you examine it, you say, you know, structurally it looks good. I think that thing can hold my weight. I believe in that chair. But if you're standing over it and you just say, I believe, you're just giving mental agreement with it. You're not really biblically believing. And it's when we put our weight in the chair that we have biblically believed, when we have given our full weight to it. This is biblical believing in Jesus, fully surrendering to Him, trusting Him alone for our salvation, for His forgiveness, for His adoption into His family. So if you have not believed in that way yet, your application is believe. When you do, you become a child of God. And then the second application, we talked about how John, the, the Baptist, bore witness. This is our calling as well. We are to bear witness to Christ. In fact, when Jesus spoke to Paul on the road to Damascus, he gave him this commission. He spells it out this way in Acts chapter 26, verse 7, end of verse 17, verse 18. I am sending you to them. To open their eyes, and he uses this phrase, 
and turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you are in the light, there's a world of darkness that's hurting, that's estranged from God, that needs you to bear witness about the light. This Christmas season, may we be people who tell the Savior, who gives life to dead people, who brings people out of darkness into His light, and who makes spiritual orphans part of His family. Let's pray. Father, thank You for doing that. Thank You for making, for those of us who have received You, have believed in Your name, for making us Your children. Something we could have never earned or deserved in and of ourselves, our abilities, our upbringing, or anything else in us. It is all by grace through faith in the person of Christ. So Lord, I pray today for the person who may be listening, or multiple people, maybe in this room, by Facebook, by radio, who know they need to turn to the light of Christ, who need their sins forgiven. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray also for our witness to our community. Love Dixie Baptist Church. Love Dixie community. I want our church to be a people who bear witness in that community. So Lord, would you make it so in us? Would you give us gospel opportunities? May we bear witness about the light of Christ. God, we pray that you will bring people into your family here and around the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?